welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Thank you very much, Jasper, for hosting us here at Star Stable. Today, we're going to be talking about the challenges of managing art and design teams. And I've got Michael, who's a lead environment artist at EA Dice, Olga, who is a user experience design director at King, and Jasper, who's a design craft manager at Star Stable Entertainment. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, a Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So as usual, we'll go around the room and do some introductions, and then we will go into some questions from you guys. So first of all, Olga, please could you introduce yourself for us? Sure. Hey, my name is Olga. Uh, I work as a UX UI director at King. I've been working at King for about four years now. Overall, I've worked in the gaming industry for 14 years. Very long time. Worked in different sizes of projects. Worked on MMOs and AAA in very indie and small projects that never ended in anything good. Uh, but now I've settled at King and... Uh, my day-to-day I focus on like product and managing the team, making sure everyone is happy and productive. So yeah, that's about me. Perfect. Thank you very much. Jasper? Yeah, like like you said, like you said. Jasper. I'm design craft manager here at Star Stable. Um I have been here for just over a year and a half. Uh before that I've been a little bit around. I actually did about four years at King, then mainly a series of indies that with mixed success perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh Last one before this was a small indie mobile company here in Stockholm. Before that, I had a spell in London. Uh, but yeah, now it's been Star Stable since 2021. I'm not quite like it. <laughs> nice. Thank you very much. And let's see, Michael. Yeah, I'm Michael. Um, work as the lead environment artist at Dice on uh, Battlefield 2042. Been at Dice for five years. Had just about as many different roles. So this is my fourth or fifth role with Dice now. Uh, tried a lot of different things, being a manager and working with producers and project managers. Uh, before Dice, um, I worked with uh, games education um, as well in the UK, among other things, and also some small indie projects that also never seem to go anywhere. And um, yeah, my day today, I guess, is. Um, Managing team of artists on 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 the project, um, working on some of the maps that we have, and um, yeah, just doing art stuff. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you all of you. Uh, obviously, the the topic that we're going to be discussing today, the challenges of managing art and design teams. So, really interesting to hear from all of you on this and all of your questions. So, we're going to come to Olga first with your question, if we can. Sure. I'm going to start with a little bit of a preamble to sort of set the tone yeah, of the conversation absolutely. so you understand the context where I'm coming from. So I think it's a, a lot of the time when we talk about uh, creative uh, crafts uh, and design and art, it's really um, convoluted when we talk about performance. How do you understand that a, a designer or an artist is performing well? In a lot of different crafts, sometimes you can quantify things, right? Like how many tasks you closed in Jira or like how many things you delivered. I think it's uh, a lot more difficult for creative crafts to understand like what is a good performance. Uh, And a lot of the time uh, when we're dealing with this, it becomes a lot more about personality of a person or how well of a communicator they are or how loved they are by the team, not actually by the output that they're producing because that's really difficult to measure. So my question here is like, what in your views, how do you work with that? How do you measure creative performance? How do you understand that a designer is a good designer? Right, that is a really good question. And then it's cropped up in a bunch of different topics throughout the years of work with designers. Uh, there's a lot, it's a really tricky area to get into to try to, to start to measure what they do on a day-to-day, right? I think like the, the easiest source of truth for me has been measuring the product, right? Mm-hmm. So like how well is the content that they produce performing or the or go to the player feedback to see what they're thinking like did this make a meaningful improvement uh did this did they enjoy this piece of content how many people engaged with it uh did it improve monetization in any way like these are the easy ones right and they're usually 
a pretty good measure of like the creative performance of whatever team worked on the thing that you're measuring. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I keep thinking about ways to sort of at least get a handle on the day-to-day stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it's hard to quantify. If you look at the qualitative things, like is this person good at explaining their thinking? Mm-hmm. Is this good person good at like organizing a project? But still hard to quantify, but you can at least get something out of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And it's something I've pondered myself a lot of times in how you like evaluate the performance of an artist, um, in, in my case. Um, and I think it's really difficult to also tie it to anything to do with a project or the product because the risk you might like the the, the risk in, in doing that is that you might be judging someone on, on things that they have no impact over. Um because if a deadline is pushed or, you know, we need to cut a part of the game, that decision is most likely not up to the artist in question, but rather, you know, those decisions are usually made well above uh, their heads, so to speak. So do they, are they accountable to that? Do we judge them for that? Um, I find, um, like, the, the kind of general thing within, like, sort of engineering of like, measuring uh, how many commits you have in perforce or many lines of code that you've written is similarly kind of an arbitrary way of measuring performance. Yeah. It's it's like, it's almost penalizing someone if you don't, you know, or rather it's creating the wrong types of behaviors. That Like if you are incentivizing lines of code written, then by nature you would get really unoptimized code because that's what they will be judged on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I think it's more to do about, the only thing that I've found is that you know, it needs to come from like feedback from a lot of different places. So not just peers, but you know, the lead or the director or whatever. But also, uh, so if it, maybe if, if the person is the lead or leading a part of the project themselves, then you can also ask the people that they are leading, of course. Uh, but trying to get as much input from as many different sources as possible to kind of create some sort of source of truth. Um, but then also trying to avoid like asking the question, like how good of an artist do they think? Do you think that this person is? Because based on research, we as humans are really bad at judging other people's skill. The only thing we can say is really, this is what I think, uh, like this is what I would do with this person, or this is how I, this person makes me feel, or I trust this person to deliver or not. So it's more like my perception of someone. I can't really objectively say they are a great artist or not a great artist. Well, like they are three on five point scale in terms of artistry. It's like, how do I don't know that? Yeah. Um, it's a really difficult question to answer. So, um, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's trying to like find a common language and then also measure impact in some way. Like, so both based on not just the end result, but also like how someone acted in different situations. So if you, for instance, if you do end up like, well, we lost uh, our outsourcing vendor or we needed to cut something, like how did he react in that situation? Did he act with uh, a senior mindset and in a way where it was like very productive and we solved the problem as it appeared or was it totally counterproductive and not displaying the kind of values that we want to see? Like, did it cause a blame game instead of actually focusing on solving the, the issue? Like that kind of questions and asking those to as many people as you can and have time for in order to kind of paint some kind of picture of what a person is doing. I don't know, really long comment with the answer, but it's, it's really, if we had the answer to this question, I think it would make your jobs a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, there's been enough jobs for us to take. No, I, th- I, I, I see your point. I'd like maybe describe to you how we're trying attempting to do that, which I would assume like it's really, really difficult to do uh, because it's especially when the seniority of a professional grows. Like I always like to say, like when the person becomes more senior, it becomes more about soft skill set rather than hard skill set. And it's much easier for us to quantify the hard skill set because, you know, it's like about your knowledge of tools or like speed of production, like that's easy to measure. But then the more you grow, the more difficult it becomes because then it becomes about communication or resolving difficult situations or stakeholder management. And those things are really difficult to measure and understand. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to also do kind of like a 360, right? It's like an overview from different perspectives. So how does the person interact with their peers? Is there like a share of knowledge? Is there a peer review that exists in the team? Or how do they uh, operate with the cross-functional uh, people, right? So how do they interact with developers? How do you interact with other parts uh, parts in the team? 
how do they interact with external resources, right? So uh, maybe they're partnering with other teams and creating shared communication. So it's like trying to get the better picture. I think what's good that what we have at King is we have values. So we have like cultural values that we're trying to assess in people too. And partially that covers soft skill set uh, of designers. And it's it's a lot easier to actually kind of attach all of the feedback and like look through the lens of the values. Because for example, if we take a value of creative champion, then if you're looking through the feedbacks of different people, you're seeking that specific feedback. Can we kind of call this person being a creative champion? And to what degree and what they have actually created through the year that we could call them a creative champion. So it's like a little like attachment so people can grab onto when they're actually giving feedback. Because I also find it a bit difficult to work through feedback and creative assessment, especially with crafts that are not attached too closely. Like if you ask a developer to assess a designer's work, they're like, yeah, they did a good job. Like I, I have a feeling, but I cannot express this in good vocabulary. So we're trying to kind of when we're doing these like uh like assessments is to look through give them anchors to attach themselves to so it's like what do you think would you call this person a creative champion if yes why what what did they achieve this year that you would kind of give them that uh that they more are are they humble and open and if yes why could you give us examples so it's always looking through the lens of examples and trying to attach ourselves into reality because i think a lot of the time me myself coming from design background too, right? And being a designer and working with different managers. I think a lot of the time uh, I experienced that the assessment is slightly subjective, right? Because it's again about perception. When I'm trying to kind of see what are the tools and ways for us to objectify the feedback and uh, like dis disattach our like feelings and emotions about people, but rather stay true to like what is actually happening. What is the true feedback? However, I would also kind of say, uh, depending on the type of organization, it's difficult to measure impact on the product or on business because, for example, in our situation, the ownership of that is distributed among several people. So I would like personally call it a bit unfair for me personally, for my designers to be assessed through that lens. Uh, of course, we have to kind of count that in as like potentially part of the assessment, but they could not for us be primary one because they don't have the full ownership and responsibility for me to hold them accountable. But I would assume that if you have a different organizational structure, that would be very, very relevant. Yeah. Well, it depends on the what the given person is working on, right? Yeah. And far from everything is measurable at the end product. And like you said, like ownership is usually distributed. Uh, sometimes you can get to the truth of it. Like at King, it was rather easy as a level designer. Like, I made this one, this one performed this well. Uh, but if you're working on like bigger things, the more people that involves, the harder it gets, right? Uh, and then to your point, like the soft skills and everything that comes with that whole area of like interacting with uh, other professionals in the studio, uh, that's kind of where, especially if we're talking on a senior level, that's kind of where you want to look, right? Again, hard to objectify, but I like your point about like just tying it to values and then somehow managing to quantify it through that. I mean, you're always going to lose a part of the message no matter what you do. But at least if you align towards the same kind of understanding of these soft things, uh, soft skills, then you can start to get somewhere. I think that shared understanding is really key with these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, the creative champion probably means something different to both you and me. Yeah. yeah for uh, and that's just two people. Yeah. But I think it, it then becomes like as as managers, we we want like a lot of as much data as we possibly can gather. And we want that data. We need to be able to trust that data. In order to be able to trust the data, we need to have uh, confidence in the way that it has been collected. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you need to standardize, you need to, you know, ask the right people the right questions and the same questions. Um, and I think that in part is one of the difficult areas because it, we work with so many different people. There's so many different stakeholders involved in anything we do. And so some like one X artist X or designer X might have Ten people that they would want to ask feedback from, and then they're you know it's just spread out all, all, all across the team. So say an, an an art director or a design director or um, even just a, an artist or a designer might have you know ten or fifteen of those feedback requests to answer, and then that becomes a lot of time spent on feedback, which then makes it uh, people maybe less um, willing to spend the necessary time on you know writing really solid, good, constructive feedback and answering it in the way that you would prefer people to answer it through like the lens of the values and, and you know, what, you, what what matters to your company. And I think that's also part, like we need to take time for it. It's not something where it's just like, 
it just took me half an hour and now we have perfect uh, performance data like that's not gonna happen like it needs yeah. to take time and it needs to be okay that it takes time because otherwise you're not gonna have a fair process because the people who advocate and are able to advocate for themselves in their like to their boss or in their own self-review and can write all this fancy language about the impact that they have and what they're doing in action verbs and all that stuff they're the ones who are invariably gonna get the biggest slice of the pie because they can advocate for themselves Whereas people who maybe aren't as comfortable doing that, they need other people to advocate for them. And if they don't have that, then, it, you know, you all of a sudden get a very uh, skewed, like, performance yeah. you know, situation within the company. Yeah. Really, yeah. No. And I also think that it's uh, 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 sometimes when you try to kind of get a more rounded picture, it can be very skewed depending on where the person is sitting in the team. They might have, like, a special reputation in a team, but then if the out like out view is it's completely different is like a uh, 150 degrees away like it's so like it's not in the, in the same lane and you're trying to kind of uh build a better picture but this is where i think it's 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 a good thing you can step away right and not be as attached to the situation just just disattach yourself like and kind of look at it from from a side and kind of say okay this is all the feedback that's coming in but i also i find it very interesting for example like talking about values what I do is from time to time, I gather like managers or like heads of teams and I ask questions, who is a creative champion in your team? Mm. So it's like posing the question in a different way, not talking about individuals, but rather also getting that perspective. There is always a name that pops up. There is always a name attached to a value that pops up. There's always a person who's like this true embodiment of this quality that also gives you a better perspective. If there is no name names, then okay, maybe that's not fully true what they're actually writing in the feedback, right? Maybe they're like, you know, thinking about it too much. But once you're posing a question that way, there's always people popping up and they're always kind of names coming in through. And that's another way to kind of get that valuable understanding. Okay, is this really true? Is this person really true creative champion or? It's a really cool angle. Mm -hmm. like just tapping into that sort of intuition. Yeah. Because, yeah, and a lot of ways we know all of these things. And just yeah. sort of getting that instant reaction from someone. Yeah. Can, I haven't actually tried that myself, but uh, yeah. <laughs> feel inspired. <laughs> so do you, in, in the feedback sort of questionnaires that you send out in your like 360 degree yeah. model, are the questions framed in that way where you ask someone like, how did, how does this person embody this value or is it more open ended? Like they need to write the feedback. Oh, the, like if, if we're actually talking about specifics, I'm going to kind of uh, talk to you a bit, a bit more detail. So, you know, we talked about uh, creating shared understanding. So this is what we work with designers on, creating shared understanding of the skill set that is necessary to be a good designer. So, or like a designer of a specific level, it's like requirements. And uh, we've worked on it years over years, creating that like comprehensive list. And we talk about it all the time. What does it mean to be um, like, to know this particular piece or area of work really well? Like, what does it mean to be super senior in this area? And then we've built that understanding. And then when we're doing assessment, when we're asking questions, we're asking questions that are very specific. So there's not just, how was this performance this year? Because it's so open-ended, people get lost in this. So I'm kind of always thinking about, again, see, I'm user experience designer. So I'm thinking about the end user, how people would be uh, thinking about like, how would they respond to this question? Because if it's a generic question, you're going to get a very generic response. So what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to kind of create lists of questions depending on the type of a relationship. So if it's someone who you work with day-to-day, -day, then the questions would be tailored to the day-to-day -day interaction and the success stories. So how did this person help you uh, achieve great things this year? And always through the lens of examples. Or how did this person uh, embody like king values this year uh, based on the project you were working with? So like being more specific and then clustering people, okay, this is my team. This is this is the managerial staff, like managers who want to give feedback, managers who always give feedback on other angles because it's not either don't work with them day to day, they kind of manage like outcome. So then everything will be a more outcome oriented. Like what are, again, successful projects that were delivered? How, like, were you happy with the quality and the speed of the delivery? So it's a lot more productivity oriented. And then you get different angles basically from different people. And then you put it together like in a pie to show the full picture. And then I found it through iteration and uh, process that this is the best way for me to kind of find out it from different sides. 
And then we always have self-assessment too, which I also think is really important, like self-reflection. What do you think about yourself? What do you think you achieved and done the best? Because again, as managers, we're slightly detached from their day-to-day too. And sometimes we also can build like a perception. Uh, of course, you're trying to kind of build it on evidence, but you might be too detached. So you actually don't know for sure. So I think it's always important to have that conversation with people and give them kind of, you know, opportunity to also speak for themselves and kind of say, this is what I think I achieved this year. This is what I think my, my greatest kind of um, uh, uh, achievements and our deliveries, our success stories this year. Uh, and also give a different glimpse into the situation because, of course, every human has difficult situations at work. And it's good to also give people that opportunity to kind of shape, like create some like uh, uh, light, shed some light onto the situation from their perspective. So you're also not judging only from the feedback around, but you're kind of bringing the co- the person into the conversation as this missing piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's something that many companies could do more of, like helping their employees advocate for themselves in in writing or like even in in conversations as well. Because that's, it is really difficult uh, and it's very easy to see it as like, well, if I say this, then what kind of, like, will they fact check me on this or where, can I, can I ask, can I have this open honest conversation with my manager um, and maybe not feeling comfortable with them. But as a manager, I've always wanted like that open, super honest conversation. I would rather, much rather it be like almost feeling a bit like difficult because of how honest it is than feeling like, you know, there's so much going on beneath the surface and we haven't even scratched that surface yet. Like you, you can sense that there is something that, you know, they're not comfortable enough sharing uh, because they, for whatever reason, um, but being able to talk about it openly helps you, like it, it, it lets you do something about it. If so, some, if someone's not happy, you can, you can solve that situation instead of it like lingering and lingering and lingering until it passes a point, passes a point where, you know, they'll just leave or become totally disengaged. But yeah, I completely agree. Like that, that is really important. And it kind of ties back into like we said about like shared understanding again. It's like both supporting them to the point where like they feel comfortable and know how to like advocate for themselves, but also like to have the trust to be able to have that conversation, especially when that performance is not necessarily good and there's something challenging you need to talk about. Or if there's something challenging in their personal life that's like interfering. They, yeah. It's a really important part of like the what I view as good management management or managership, saying that word. Uh, building that, both that trust and sort of the foundation for these kinds of conversations. Mm. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. It was a brilliant first question. So thank you very much. I oh, got loads out of that. Um, but we'll move on. We're going to we're going to the second one. So from uh, Jasper, please could you give us your question then? Oh yeah, that's right. What was my question? <laughs> so, yeah, how do you approach like training and upskilling for the people that you manage? Um, just sort of in general. I think it can be, yeah, it's sometimes tricky to approach that for a whole group. Another really good question. Yeah. Um, do you have a great answer? <laughs> I could try and pull one out. Um, well, I think it's it, it depends, right? I think you're very right. It's really difficult to find trainings that fit a whole group because usually you don't have a very homogenous group. There's a lot of different people. I, for example, manage variety of crafts. So for me, finding training that works for everyone is really, really difficult. We have tried, though. I'm going to say we have tried, but it's it's usually a hit and miss. And then when you have that hit and miss like ratio, it's like usually these trainings are very expensive for the companies and, you know, you're kind of losing faith in whether this working or not. But what we're trying to do, we're trying to approach it a little bit more from an individualistic standpoint rather than a, a, a group standpoint. So um, uh, we're looking into individual needs. Um, so um, I always like to work with everyone individually and like, what are your goals, career goals? Like, what do you want to be in like five years? Like, who do you want to become? And then we're trying to kind of work through the plan. Like, what are the missing skills for you to be there and how we can slowly and, uh, and surely kind of build your path towards that. So this is kind of one way of looking at it. But then also I have like my intern- internal goals that I've been trying to work through. So there's like this very uh, uh, important training that uh, I've now kind of managed my whole team to go through, which is, uh, it's, a, it's a UX training. It's called this one in Norman. They're like founding fathers of our craft. So uh, I try to kind of get everyone on the same page of understanding about the basics of the craft because everyone comes from such different backgrounds. 
that it sometimes becomes difficult to even assess the state of the whole team or the maturity of the team. So my goal was how can I get everyone to at least approximately the same level of maturity and the same like theoretical background so they were all on the same page. So I think if for me personally, like I was trying to pursue that goal, like that's really important. But other like more specific trainings, I think are a lot more individualistic. So they won't fit the basic majority. And a lot of the trainings that we experienced are, again, far too generic, but then also in game development. You know what I mean? Nothing is tailored towards gaming development. It's always about web, general, mobile. It's never too specific. And then we have to always kind of reimagine what it means for our teams. So I don't know, like maybe you have answers. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm like, I don't have a really good answer here. No, I think I'm on a similar level where like individual training, that makes a lot of sense. Like, especially if the person knows sort of what they're trying to get better at, or like we know we have a challenge ahead and we, like, we need to focus on like learning a couple of new things just to be able to tackle that. Or it's just someone who needs to grow. Like as an individual, you can always, not necessarily easily, but you can identify these things and you can yeah. work, you can coach them through it and you can find specific courses, classes, books, whatever it is. Yeah. But it's really when it comes down to like a whole group, that becomes, yeah, I mean, it's difficult already in assessing sort of where to begin with that. And like you said, like, yeah, game development, design, art, like it's all cool. Yeah, it's not tailored for us. Yeah, for us. Which is kind of why I wanted to bring this question here to sort of see how you're working with it. So it means to sort of maybe find some inspiration or at least a different angle to come at it from. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, how are you? <laughs> well, I mean, we have uh, a lot of different approaches. Um, and I think what has worked so far for us is like uh, layering it in different levels so one like the top level is like company level i mean and, and then deciding like wh what do you do within each layer like how specific do you go because like you said like there's there's always there's individual needs and then there are group needs and company needs project needs etc so from like a top layer is is mostly about like inspiration you know just bringing more of the inspirational pieces back into you know, guest lectures or presentation or whatever material, like watching stuff together, uh, that is, you know, can be uh, totally unrelevant, irrelevant to, to game development. It can be something like, you know, health or history or um, having anyone come and talk about anything, I think is relevant for people like us working in games, because if you have a, an economics professor coming talking about world economics, like somehow that can you know, increase your knowledge of something that leads to inspiration or like interest in something that then improves or uh, enriches uh, the, the games or what someone wants to work with. And then on a more like a team level uh, or like a domain craft level, we can have more like say for, so within environment art, we can watch presentations or lectures or workshops, either internal stuff or external that it focuses on, on that craft. And then on an individual basis, it becomes more about what their role is mm -hmm. So we, because we specialize a lot, like, you know, we can specialize in vegetation or house destruction or like, like architecture or like photo scanning or material creation or whatever it might be. Um, and then based on what they want to do, they have, you know, the ability to kind of really go deep in that area. But then we also do like, uh, we call it self-improvement time, which yeah. is like a slot each week, mm -hmm. just aim that having a project ongoing for a set number of weeks um for like uh, an afternoon a week and then after like eight weeks they present what they've done and their learnings and they kind of share it um yeah. progressively with with the team uh, which is great because then people try out say you know someone who's never used houdini they they get a chance to learn houdini and then that enriches their work and it also helps them find new things that they uh, might be like well this is really interesting um so i think that's we like it i think it's easy to get really good at game development yeah. but then kind of stagnate within maybe the like yeah. either artistically or creatively simply yeah. because you get so used to doing things in a very specific way yeah. um so like you said about going back to basics uh, we did something similar uh, across the studio um, going back to the basics in terms of uh, like agile uh, scrum training yeah. um because everyone speaking the same language is essential to be knowing like when we talk about a backlog we all of us know what a backlog is when we talk about a sprint we all know what a sprint is we all know what a product owner is etc um i think that is, is is really good um and like for artists then going back to like the fun fundamentals of like composition or mm. color theory or um cinematography like photography like all of those things they help improve like everyone's skill set and artistic way of thinking and, and, and perceiving the world um 
like uh, across the board instead of just honing in on one specific like technical skill because that's very specific to probably a few or very few people whereas like those fundamentals they apply to anyone basically that's a really good point i quite like that it's sort of just you can come at it kind of indirectly right like focusing on fundamentals then you can like even for a designer in many ways like just learning a bit more about art and composition and camera work that kind of stuff can really like either improve directly if you're working with those kinds of things or just indirectly through inspiration uh, especially like what you talked about where like, individuals training themselves and then sharing that that kind of ties back into the group right mm. do you could go through this process there's a lot of details that you might need to figure out that are not necessarily relevant but after a period of say eight weeks then then you probably have a few general learnings that you can spread back through the craft exactly and the other added bonus of that is that when someone sees someone else sharing like well i've done this thing then if someone else is thinking like well i want to do this thing as well I know that that person has just gone through that journey mm. themselves. So that's a like a very good um, way of highlighting, well, mm. this is someone you can reach out to for help in that mm. case. So I think that a lot of it is about building those bridges between mm -hmm. people. Like even within the teams themselves, it might not always be obvious what what kind of like personal interest everyone has because not everyone is you know, broadcasting that openly. So if you, you know, the more you encourage people to share, the more of those, you know, neural connections you'll mm. you'll make. I'm curious to hear, because you mentioned you have like a very specialized team, right? I'm just weird, so um, you, you're sort of like implying that, but have you looked at, because you have specialized artists on creating like mentorships where each specialization kind of encouraging to learn about their specific way of working or specific process so that like enriches the knowledge of everyone and like how do you approach that? Well, uh, across the company, like EA has a, a mentoring program mm -hmm. uh, uh, open to anyone. Uh, so you can like self-match with people mm -hmm. that you think, well, like this person is interested, like it is part of this program. Uh, I would like to learn from them or you can either like either or uh, add yourself as a, as a mentor or as a mentee. And then you can have like, like self-match pro uh, mm -hmm. program. But then also uh, within art, like we, we focus a lot on like the onboarding. Uh, mm -hmm. So we've, you know, added to that and reiterated on that um, for many years now to create uh, as um, a pedagogical, if that's a word, uh, of an onboarding as we can probably, uh, like we, we can make. And obviously it needs to be improved and updated continuously because things change. Um, but that to us is really important because then that allows someone who's like, well, I want to do this thing. Then there is an onboarding program for, for that with like the proper documentation of how to get up and running. Because I think otherwise, because we are very specialized, it creates a lot of like, um, it creates a, a, a quite a high um, bar of entry um, if it's very difficult and there's no documentation. It's like, well, how do I even get started? Because we might not be comfortable reaching out to people all the time, like badgering them about like, show me how this works and show me how this works. You might rather learn in your own spare time. And then if you have that onboarding for each like pillar or like each specialization, then that really helps them bridge out and branch out and, and try new different things that's really cool what about you Jesper? do you have something like that so where was the original question here so specialization <laughs> yeah the i mean we're not big enough to warrant like like most of the designers still share the same title it's not that overly specialized but they do have like their areas where they're starting to niche into right, right. um the like, spreading that knowledge through the craft is certainly a good idea, but we're not at the stage yet. Mm -hmm. I'm, like we are actually going through the process of like performance development at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to encourage that kind of thing where like just like, helping people figure out what their specialization mm -hmm. is and like encouraging that. And then the next step after that will certainly be to like have them share back to the craft. But uh, mm -hmm. now we're working more on a general level so far. Mm -hmm. There are a few specialized crafts, but they're usually so small that it's like difficult to even find traction of spreading it mm. um i mean a single ui artist can be busy doing that for most of his time yeah that's very nice um but yeah the ambitions are there specializations are getting there we don't have specializations but we also have like no human is a unicorn so every designer has their own kind of special skill or something they're geeking into or something they're really passionate about well we're trying to tap into that so try to see how we can build education of the team based on that. So if we have someone who geeks out on a specific tool, can we help them bring that knowledge to everybody else? Just sharing knowledge. So there's like there's no particular goal of us adopting the tool or anything like that. It's just more encouraging people to share more and building that sort of relationship. 
and then also creating that uh, proficiency knowledge. So if, if I know if I have a question about this, I know that this there's someone in my team who is really good at it, so I can go and ask, or like I can ask for help, or I can ask for resources where I can learn more. Because what we realize, we also we 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 like we have designers and they're 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 general designers. They're not like specialists. They're all UX designers, so they're all UI designers. But some of them are really good at motion, for example, or others are really good at animation. Some some of them are really good at like engine work. So and and they're not all equal, right? So they all have like their own composition of really great skills. So we're thinking is like it's good to bring external training, but we have such smart people in our teams. Why are we not like allowing them to train everybody else? Be really good at like work with an engine, just share it with everyone. We're really curious to see how how you do it. How how does it work out for you? Because everyone hates working with the engines. Uh, or uh, if you are really good at motion, can you teach us? Can you help us learn a bit more how we can incorporate it in our workflow? Uh, yeah, you can get very far with that, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least to the point where that person's specialization can take them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they, that has multiple benefits, not just sort of to train others. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it also helps a person who's going to do that thing, right? Who's going to share their knowledge? They're going to they're going to sit down. They're going to have a good think about what they actually know. And I think that's a really healthy practice in general, um, especially if you're trying to dive into some kind of like if you try to niche yourself somewhere. Yeah, and, and um, like I was thinking about this now. Like our work is very uh, like isolated. Like most of us sit in front of a computer. But like when 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 we're making stuff, we sit in front of a computer and. It, it's that's not a very social like activity like showing someone who just like runs by like what are you doing would take a, a, quite a long time it can't yeah. take a very long time to explain so in encouraging people to share more of what they do and their thought process and how things learnings and failures like i think that is probably the singular well maybe not singular but one of the singular most important things in order to like bring up that like layer of like transparency, communication, um, knowledge sharing, like because it, it happens almost naturally after that because you see that someone else is doing this thing that I've thought about doing. Why do I like? I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'll just speak to that person. Mm-hmm. Like they're already doing that thing. Uh, so I think the more like if you have a if the if the culture within the studio is very much like you know everyone keeps to themselves. I think that's probably the biggest thing you can unlock is just yeah. trying to. Um, mm-hmm. Um, help people be comfortable in being more vulnerable and sharing the work because it is difficult it is scary at first and it, and it can you know depending on the culture that you might have but once you break through that then i think you see like such a massive cultural change um and then a lot of the other stuff happens as a byproduct of that and i completely agree like that really is one of the most important things just sharing your work uh because that goes both ways immediately, right? You get to learn through feedback from others what you can improve, perhaps what your weaknesses are and what your strengths are. Yeah. And you also show them what you've done. Exactly. Showing someone else some approach to something, a new way to think about design, a new way to draw, whatever it might be. Um, yeah, you can get very far only that, I'd say. Yeah. For you guys as managers, how do you balance the time? Like, how much emphasis do you put on training in terms of your like your work week? And do you set aside time to sit down with, like, juniors when they come on board and, like, for upskilling, do you put the onus on them to come to you or on the seniors to go to the juniors? Like, how does that work? Depends a lot, I'd say. Yeah. The, it depends on the individuals. It depends on the kind of time we as a company and the specific individuals have a time at hand at the moment. Mm. Uh, I would say, in general, not as much as I like. Yeah. <laughs> but as much as possible, really. The Whether it be through one-on-ones and individual coaching or like we've talked about, like encouraging sharing of work and like establishing processes to fit that. Um, Here we have something we call passion weeks, which is a couple of weeks a year. Uh, We set aside one full week where everyone works on like a passion project. Uh, Sometimes it's like lightly themed. Uh, The general goal is to have like create things that fit into the game, Uh, whether it's a new type of clothing from an artist or a quest line or something just like a system that someone's been passionate about mm. developing like one recent one that we're actually in production for at the moment is uh dressage which is um yeah equestrian 
mm-hmm. culture is not my expertise. I'm very, very away from any detail. <laughs> but the system that someone passionate about creating is setting up to that kind of process through a passion week and uh, kind of showed it off as a prototype, which then inspired and it's now leading to a lot. So many cool things got out of those. I know. Yeah, having yeah. my favorite practices. We have those too. Like it's, it's, it's a thing. I think it's a very popular <coughs> thing in game development in general. To have, uh, they usually have different names. Yeah, hack weeks. Hack weeks or hack days, game jam days. We've had so many cool things come out of those too. I think it's it's a really good practice to also reignite the passion in people because you allow them to just take their idea and, and just develop it in whatever shape or form they would like. I think we're trying to expand that now too and like uh, not only focus only on the game but also focus on craft. Like we now call them craft days. So this is something you also can contribute in just either advancing in your craft or teaching others about your craft or actually like, you know, that a lot of uh, designers have the, their pet peeves or like little things that would want to tweak, but they never have the time to. So a lot of them find that great like time focus where they have the time they can like shift away from their projects and just focus like on improving something they've wanted to improve for a long time. I think that helps also kind of for people to to know like we we really care. It's like everyone is so creative in our teens. They need that outlet all the time, but maybe not in a structured way like how we approach it on a thing to day, but in a more like you have this amount much time, do whatever you like. And it's just that like we also put a lot of stuff pro- into the game from as a result of these amazing activities. Yeah. Yeah, we we do it in this world. Yeah, yeah. I can't not be worried. No, but we 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 have uh, put a lot of uh, emphasis on that. And like, like difficulty is always finding the time for them. Um, but like you both say, they pay off massively. Um, both in terms of stuff that gets added into the games from like this is so cool that we've done this. I think one for Battlefield Five that the few people did was like the the finger gun like mm. so you could basically turn your hand into a gun and have like and like the comic style like sound effect uh pop up and stuff uh which was really awesome and then lots of other things uh we had one just recently um and that i put together like a video after the event just showing everything it was amazing to see what people can achieve in just when that was just a two-day event yep. um and like in two days people can do so many cool things um so i think encouraging that and having that having that as part of the, the culture i think is mm. is really crucial because uh, it also kind of is a good way to let people um also put things on like well i want to try this uh and i know i will have time at some point to do them uh and then you don't have to go and like be anxious about like i don't get to do the things that really you know have an idea that i want to really go back get down but i have so much work to do but you know you can kind of like you have time allocated for that stuff but I also want to kind of go back to the question that you originally asked, Andy, because I think it's a very big difference of you training a junior versus when you have a more seasoned and senior uh, person in your team. Because when you have a junior, this is a handheld experience. You have to invest a lot of time and train and be with them and encourage them and be helpful. And uh, we don't rely on them actually doing anything on their own. Like, like we, we need to be doing a lot of handholding. So we invest a lot of time into that. But once a, a, a person reaches a certain level of seniority, we expect like a, you know, like a self-sufficient unit, the person who kind of takes care of their own development, which I think is like the pattern we're trying to break out to because a lot of the time they can feel a bit left alone, right? Where there's like their careers too much in their hands and they do need, like everyone needs a lot of guidance. I need a lot of guidance in my career, my development too. And everyone needs to have that. So we're trying to kind of also think okay why are we like we need to give a lot more support to a lot more senior people because they also cannot be not sure they get where to progress to mm. do they want to in the future become a manager or do you want to do they want to be a very senior individual contributor how how to choose what are the opportunities i'm trying to also kind of uh work on building trial periods for them right especially like managerial path everyone has to try it right before committing it's 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 a very serious endeavor. It, it requires a lot of investment uh, uh, mentally and emotionally. So I always believe that everyone has to try that, but we need to kind of talk this through and arrange that this is where I think our jobs come in is to understand and kind of have these conversations and feel for it and say like, what exactly would you like to do? How can I help you try that out and see, okay, what is the best career path for you? Mm. Because I also sometimes think that, um, self-evaluation 
is really good, but it, it can lead you to wrong conclusions. So this, again, going back to my own personal experiences, I, I would, I could become like very delusional about my expertise in certain areas, maybe overestimate myself somewhere or underestimate myself elsewhere. So I think it's important to have a, a good manager hand next to you, kind of saying, I'll help you sort this out. And we'll, we'll look at your strengths and try to work towards that. Or we can look at your weaknesses and strengthen them so you can become a well-rounded specialist. Well, yeah, I totally agree about the um, fact that like, I think it's very common to expect senior people to just self-manage entirely and then like not providing any support at all, uh, where in fact, like the biggest impact within your company is through your senior leaders because if they are unhappy or they feel lost or overwhelmed then that's going to trickle down from the organization and all of a sudden like you're trying to focus on you know sort of the maybe the more junior population and you end up and ignoring the, the more senior population then you end up ignoring both in in well or like it, it kind of affects both all layers if you don't invest enough in in the leaders um, and help them because they just because you've past a certain point doesn't mean that you automatically just know exactly what you're doing at all times and also will just automatically be happy with that either um i think probably in um, more often than not it's the opposite way yeah i find i spend most of my time with the seniors and leaders that i manage the because that like it's kind of a weird curve like right at the beginning onboarding especially if someone's junior then there's more time but that's like that's very practical there's like how here's how you do that thing go to mm-hmm. that person be it often just to check in uh but yeah then it's the senior people that by far where i spend my most uh, the most of my time because mm. uh, that that reaches everyone in the end right like it's through the leaders for different teams and subcrafts that like they then spread their knowledge through to the more junior people that they work with mm. the uh plus i really like the coaching on that level <laughs> yeah so, uh, <laughs> it's really difficult but very rewarding yeah exactly it's like, at that point it's usually they've figured out sort of what they're good at what they're less good at where they want to go and it becomes very meaningful conversations that i usually learn a lot from too yeah i think it's a never-ending learning curve yeah with managers. i hope so yeah <laughs> all right perfect um just because of time we're going to move it on to the final question but thank you very much just for a great question um come for yourself michael for, for your question yeah and i think mine is very much tied into both of these topics or rather both of the topics that we've already discussed um highly impact i believe <laughs> my topic which is how you keep um artists and designers happy at work and engaged you know so you retain uh, and uh, develop them to the best of you know your your capabilities basically so um what's your take on 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 sort of retention and um, um yeah just keeping keeping a team happy That's yeah. a big question, right there's so many things to go into that uh it's definitely one of the things I think is like the, one of the most important parts of the mission as a manager, as a leader in general, uh, it's like the, the health and well-being of the people that you manage. Mm. I come at it from a lot of different ways, like making sure that there's not too much stress in the team. Like, does everyone know what they're supposed to be doing? Uh, do they have the time to do that thing? But it's also like a lot of like softer things. Like, do you enjoy do you enjoy working with what you do? Like, are you working on the right things to motivate you? Are you passionate about it? And trying to sort of facilitate things in that general direction then there's conflict management and uh so yeah there's a lot going into it <laughs> i'm trying to not sound too scattered as i try to map this out for myself um you know what are the key things really what do you do to approach them this is such a difficult question actually because yeah. it's a such a multi-tier question because um i think well in my view it's um first individuals need to be happy so for the team like level of like productiveness and happiness each individual needs to feel sense of belonging i think that that's really important working as part of the team and feeling like the team is there and then the team is recognized by everyone else there's uh, a lot of uh, good stuff coming out of the team and we're kind of aligned and think as a team. And then I also think that uh, sense of accomplishment is like own recognition. It's really important. Uh, but psychological safety, I would say, is number one yep. everywhere. So if there is no psychological safety or there's no good like um, mental health in the team or like, again, safety, nothing else will work. Like I think that's a basis right so it's it's like a something you cannot build uh without um and uh, um 
I work with that through like individual approach because I don't, I think it's much harder to build it in a team first. So that's why I always try to approach it through individuals first and then bring it all elsewhere to the team. You need the trust, right? Yeah, you need the trust. And I'm trying to kind of be more like leading with empathy uh, and like listening more and, and talking through people's issues and help supporting them emotionally because a lot of the time when someone is having an issue it's a, always an emotional response first and then the logical follows so um it's important for people to feel that you emotionally support them and validate their feelings and understand them and then can come in with their either with advice or a solution uh because i think also as leaders we tend to jump to solution modes um like get stuff done right now <laughs> uh, straight away um, and I try to also kind of steer myself. I'm that kind of person too. But I try to steer myself away from that. And kind of first build that individual trust mm. between myself and people. And then we do actually a lot of exercises on trying to create a group trust where we talk about uh, once a week we have the session. I recommend you highly. We spend half an hour talking about just random questions. So, and you can look it up, it's called like the glass bowl challenge where you have silly questions, thoughtful questions, get to know you questions. And we choose one question per session. And then the whole team just talks about our backgrounds, what we like, what kind of music we like, what are our design pet peeves, like all of these little fun stuff. Like we just get to know each other more on a human level. And that helps so much with trust because we remove that professional mask and we kind of set it aside and just we just talk as humans, as people to each other. I think that that's really helpful. It's a warmth, if anything, yeah. right? And, yeah. The, and you need all of those things. It's it's a complex yeah. bag of a bunch of uh it's it's emotional at the heart of it. Yeah. The it's trust, it's having fun together, it's knowing your other people's like likes and dislikes and what they need in order to do their job or just to sort of function in a social capacity. Um but once you have that foundation, you can get really far. Um, yeah. yeah, no, uh, totally, um, agree. And I think that's a great way to kind of build that like sense of, yeah, like, like safety, um, because it's easy to assume that just because the team is working together that they have that level of comfortability, mm -hmm. like through just working together, mm -hmm. I think you can spot that quite easily in like in meetings, mm -hmm. just the dynamics between people, yeah. um, not everyone will be you know, the, the first to speak, well, I feel like there's a natural sort of, um, like anyone can say anything at any point. Um, so yeah, that's a good way to maybe build that up and make it feel a bit more natural where it's not just like work related stuff either. I think mm -hmm. that's very easy yeah. for us to just focus on like, well, now we're just talking about technical stuff and then nothing else. Um, and not, maybe not everyone will, um, some people will prefer that to yeah. keep it just like that. But I think many of us, want that social connection to be at least slightly more than just about work specific stuff. I think you kind of need that if you're going to function together, like you need to at least understand each other to some, to some degree. Mm. I think we just made this a whole lot harder for ourselves by working remotely, yeah. you know, but that comes with its own set of benefits, uh, but it definitely yeah, it makes it harder to build those social connections, mm. which then inform the trust and the psychological safety. Yeah. But I think in terms of like retention, if we're talking about like now more managerial language, how do we retain talent? Um, I, for example, I have a very senior level wise team. So for me, retaining that talent is always creating career paths because a lot of the time, very senior people want to see what's next for them in mm. their next career. Of course, when you're like looking at job opportunities yourself, you're looking at like, well, first, I don't know, everyone has their different criteria. But in game dev, it's very kind of typical to look at the interest of the project. Like, would I be interested in doing that? But then also like, what are my career progressions here? What, what are my opportunities? And it's always, uh, for me, it's important to understand and assess the level of ambition of each individual. I take that my job is to create these opportunities for these people. And we spend quite a lot of time talking about these. And especially like with senior people, you have to understand, I sometimes have to have conversation. Would you like to have my job? Mm. And then how do we get you there? And then once you get there, we'll see. Maybe you'll get my job, maybe I'll go somewhere else, or maybe no. And then we also have to be very honest about it. We Like maybe we can't retain people for 20 years in the same role because it's also like stagnation that a lot of people experience. And this, for creative crafts, it's really damaging to their productivity and their creativity mm. because they feel like stuck in the same place for a long time. Yeah, and you really need momentum there, right? Yeah. Like the, 
no matter where they're at, like they need to feel like there's some kind of momentum towards whatever the next thing yes. is. Um, the, I feel a few things, important things there is just to make sure that there is room internally for that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's just an easy one to like always look internally first before hiring externally, because that's going to be noticed quickly over time, right? There. If everyone knows that like the next senior or higher level position is going to be hired from the outside anyways, then you're also going to just start looking outside if you want to move there. Yeah. yeah that's one part of it, at least. Yeah. yeah. Do you look at other kind of uh, ways of, uh, uh, let's say, extrinsic motivation? Uh, like, are there any tools that you use to kind of stimulate, um, I don't know, uh, long-term retention? Yeah. Yes, to some degree, at least. Like, that's deeply individual if you ask me. So, like... Mm. Other than just the general sort of how you built the career progression and the mm. foundation for that, like the just what motivates and stimulates the individuals, mm. try to identify that. It kind of ties back to what we talked about, like training specializations, mm. just like helping people find what motivates them and what they're passionate about, and sort of encouraging growth in that area. Mm. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, we have a need for it. Uh, let's focus on training for you. But other times it's like, okay, this is something new we haven't really considered it. So let's see what we we can explore. This can be mm. like just help sort of sweep the path towards it and like support the growth in whatever direction it is. And they, uh, as long as it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do all kinds of surveys and stuff like that, but I find it is more about like having those long-term conversations with each individual about what they want to do. And I wish that more companies would um, maybe like buy like automatically or like, like, um, be more comfortable with people staying in their roles mm -hmm. and seeing that not as a bad thing or like as a stag yeah. like a well that this person has stagnated now but rather like well we get to keep this person and their skill set and experience keeps evolving mm -hmm. so like um not everyone has to be a career-minded person yes. well everyone has to progress progress yes. progress 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 and then like when they can't progress any further they'll leave because they just want to keep progressing like that's one part of your yeah. a team but then the other part of the A team is the people there, day in, day out, just getting the job done. Uh, the people who, if they left, would be like, why did we not value this person? Yeah. Because these are the ones who have so much experience and skill and are happy continuing doing this, mm. being that like safe port in the fixed point in the stormy sea, so to speak. Um, and, and, and they can really be like the tone setter for your entire team. Like, yeah. de depending on if they... If they have a positive culture uh, or like bring a, a contribute to a positive culture, then that's fantastic. If the, if but on the flip side, if they don't do that, then that's really damaging instead. Um, so um, yeah, like everyone doesn't have to be the the next director or next CEO. No, uh, that should be totally okay. Does that is that quite a difficult balance to find? You know, the people who or what you put engaging as the other part of this and like happy and engaging. Is it a difficult balance to try and find like? The people who want to do a little bit more and like new things so they're not stagnating and then realizing the people who are happy just being consistent doing what they want in my experience it's it's with an art it's more difficult to find people who want to go into like leadership roles than mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. like majority of people want to just make stuff and and progress within in within that field however there is this like difficult reality of like well yes that's great but at a certain point you will peak because if we talk about like because uh, or like at if we if we comp talk about experience versus compensation uh for instance because that conversation often comes up and at that at that point there's a there's a ceiling to how much your regardless of how many years you've been doing something where the impact of what you're what you're doing contributing has reached its maximum pay potential but that's if you if the compensation part is important to you if it's if it's not or if it's you know not uh, the most important thing, then, um, then yeah, that's that's great. Mm -hmm. Then I think there's all kinds of ways to you know specialize. But if you if compensation is really important, yet you don't want to learn new things or you know take on more responsibility, then at a certain point you're gonna get disappointed because yeah. companies don't tend to work that way. Yeah. Even if it was great, if they did, no. And there's a dilemma for sure. I think that's one that been discussed for as long as i've been in the industry really where like it's not that common for people to want to lean into like people management sometimes like a, a craft leader kind of thing is more common mm -hmm. but a lot of people just want to do what they are doing like i like building levels in, for this game um and like you said that's kind of stagnant after a while which is really a shame but yeah if you've peaked and but i also think it's important to so like 
when I was talking about mom motivations, every person has this thing with, at their job when it, I always want like it's people with sparkling eyes. So that makes you like really want to do it. And uh, for example, if you have someone who is a really great individual contributor, they're also going to go stagnant if they're doing the same thing they love over and over. Over time, it still becomes very repetitive. So they need to have a challenge. And then this is more what I'm talking about, right? Is, is, is having this continuous conversation is what can I do to help you be passionate about what you're doing? Like, because it, it, sometimes it can be just as simple as taking a different type of a task or like focusing on something that you've never focused before. Um, I've had like examples in my team where um, I've had people who've lost their passion for a craft, but then once they were given a challenge of really serious one, they've just started like, it reignited their passion. They came back to the craft and they started like delivering like crazy. So for me, it's, it's, this is where it's, there's no solution that is a cap solution for this. It's always an individual work because as you're saying, every individual is super different. And then some are more career oriented and want to grow, but then that growth can be translated either in like a, a new uh, position or it can be actually translated into new responsibilities. It's just a shift in responsibilities because they just want to shift maybe, hmm. or they maybe want to take a specific new challenging type of task. I have people in my team who really enjoy challenge. For example, that's also really difficult as a manager. If you, they continuously want to be challenged and have more and more difficult things, at some point, you know, there's only that many difficult things you can give them, right? Mm. So it's 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 always really, really difficult. But I think it, maybe I'm again, maybe I don't have a, a better overview, but I, I don't see at the moment, for example, for myself, what is a top down like general solution how to address that it's always so individualistic always custom like individuals right? yeah it really does so like yeah yeah it was great to that like just variation or challenge can do a lot uh yeah. both for people who have sort of maybe the peak is the wrong word but sort of are somewhere near like what you could call the peak of uh, whatever their profession or chosen niche is the uh, just shifting around with that a little bit can do a lot it can also really help people who are like that are at earlier stages to figure out ways to grow just sort of challenge the perspective a little bit look at it differently take on a bigger thing try something new focusing on horizontal growth um, more <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and making it very clear what the different opportunities internally are because mm-hmm. not all moves have to be vertical like mm. we can make great horizontal or like parallel moves yeah. or diagonal moves um and keep people who otherwise would have gone elsewhere to get that same challenge um yeah, yeah. so i think that's definitely a good way yeah. to keep experience and skill within yeah. you know within your own um team instead of them having to go somewhere else to to get that challenge mm-hmm. that they're looking for but I also want to kind of acknowledge, I think, sometimes we have to let people go too. Yeah. Uh, I think this is also a difficult um, internal monologue within every manager is how do you let people go and how do you stop fighting for them? Because at the end of the day, of course, we don't want to let our people go. We've invested so much time and effort into them and they're part of like the, the team and it's such a great person. We don't want them to go. And of course, um, I think it all depends. This is where... I think there's a certain point when a person coming is coming to you and say like, I don't want to work here anymore. That's already too late. You've oh, yeah. failed, mm-hmm. right? So as a manager, there's very little you can do unless this is primarily monetary. Uh, there's very little you can do because I think by the time they're already kind of disengaged with everything mm-hmm. else that was happening before. This is why I want to like, for me, it's so important that all the work that you're doing individually is so important mm-hmm. because you're avoiding that like peak point. Yeah. And then that's a really uh, good point because I've uh, I've had a lot of like um, retention conversations throughout my time as a manager, and in some cases I've fought uh, you know tooth and claw to keep people. In other cases, I've said no. I think you should take this offer that you've been given from another, another company. And my my sort of reasoning behind that is not out of disloyalty to the company that I'm working for, but rather like the the complete opposite. I want the, the people who I manage to be like as happy as they can be within the role that they they have if i'm lying saying like no i think you should stay here Mm. just for the sake of serving my own Mm. or self-need then ultimately not only is that not fair but ultimately it will also uh, create like some kind of like dishonesty between us and i would rather them go somewhere else try something new for a couple of years and then come back feeling like 
they, this company, like the people here that I work with were really honest with me about what was best for me mm-hmm. and then come back and bring new experience, new um, ideas, new, new ways of doing things and feeling like this was a really good experience. Um, I want to come and like when we have those like boomerangs, um, yeah. like they are such a massive success story to any company. Yeah. Um, both in terms of skill and experience, added experience, but also like for the morale of the team. Like someone has sort of ventured to the other side and seen that the grass wasn't greener here <laughs> and returned. So the whole really good for like the, the true like the next level of long term retention. Yeah. yeah. Like set them free, hope they come back. Exactly. <laughs> like he, he becomes a bit meta almost, but uh, you know you have to play the long game because it is a long game. Uh, yeah. And like we haven't even seen. The first people starting to go hit like the retirement yet yeah. within the games industry so and when that happens oh my god like it'll be such a it's gonna be awesome well they're awesome but it's gonna be really cool to to witness because our industry hasn't really seen that still very young and, yeah still very young but i also think that um like this we mentioning transparency is also pretty good so if you have someone with whatever it is the level of need that you cannot meet um, three is also really good to be transparent and honest and saying, well, there's nothing I can do for you right now. And it's better that if you move on mm-hmm. and try something else, and then you can come back if you want to, we would be really happy to see you back. But this is the situation because mm-hmm. we're also, again, we're not CEOs of companies. We're also like working at the, uh, part of the company. And like, sometimes there's decisions that are out of our hands that we cannot make things happen for people. Uh, but I also like to employ like the being very honest and kind of transparent, not lying because it never works out in the end because the person is going to be so unhappy. And I think the worst thing that can happen if you have someone who is unhappy in the team, because I feel like it's, it's, it's like a bacteria that spreads, mm-hmm. right? It infects everything else around because people, uh, share their unhappiness and others start kind of noticing or maybe being too overly focused on something that they should not have been doing. And we we, we should help people out as much as we can to kind of get them to better states, whatever we can do. And if that letting them go somewhere else, I think that's the best way. Yeah, I completely agree. And the honesty really is the best practice here. Like the both best for the individual, for your relationship and their relationship with the company, just all around the D. Far better than stringing someone along on some kind of empty promise or hope. Yeah. Just for the sake of, again, yeah, attention. Exactly. exactly. You end up shooting yourself in the foot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Feeling last question to finish on as well, Michael. So thank you. Uh, Jasper, just want to say thank you for letting us hold, uh, do the podcast here and for Star Stable for hosting us as well. And Olga, thank you and all of you for contributing. It's been a really good episode.